0: Go right back.
1: It is said that people come into our lives for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Well, the friendship between musicians David Bridie and George Tellick definitely falls into that lifelong category. They met in Papua New Guinea over 30 years ago and have been friends and musical collaborators ever since. And a butte new doco tells their story. It's directed by Rosie Jones and titled RBB Butterfly Song and will be premiered at the Melbourne International Film Festival this very Sunday. Here's a little preview. George and David's story
0: is just incredible. Even though they've come from different cultures, they're just like two brothers. Wow! We It is a unique story, but in a way, I wish that it was a common story between all of Papua New Guinea and Australia.
1: Now, unsurprisingly, David and George are both in Melbourne for the premiere and join me now, and I welcome them both to our little wireless program. David, Take us back to 1986. Why did you decide to go to PNG I understand it was your first overseas trip
2: yeah that's right Philip I, um, uh, so I was playing in a band called Not drowning Waving at the time and we had a fella named Mark Worth who projected super 8 and 16 mil film whilst we were playing. Mark's father was in the Navy. Which was, and he had, Mark had lived for a whole lot of his youth on Manus Island at Lombrum, which in recent years has been the uh, the prison uh, there for um, uh, asylum seekers. But Mark loved being brought up in Manus Island and he loved the culture and he kept, he would just be on at me the whole time going, you know, you're a person who loves music and you love film and you love. You Know, uh, you know, interesting stories. Papua New Guinea is the place, and uh, he um, um, yeah, he just uh, was quite firm in saying this is a place that Australian people, especially Australian artists, should be engaging with. And uh, and that I took Mark uh, on his vice, and so in '86 went up there. What were your first impressions of
1: PNG? I know you found it the land of the unexpected,
2: mm. um. Sean Dorney writes about it really well, that the, uh, those things of seeing, you know, meeting people who, I met some people from the Highlands who for the first 20 years of their life lived before any contact with the outside world, a place where there's, you know, a quarter of the world's languages, um, Port Moresby being like this kind of mad ass urban settlement where people from everywhere were there and, um, the local, uh, Papua New People from there, maybe a bit uh less often. The, the real I've found, like a lot of people do, that the real Papua New Guinea is when you get away from Port Moresby. So, um, when I got to the Sepik River or when I got to Rabaul, where George is from, that to me was like, wow, this is quite, uh, quite wonderful. Now, David, tell me about the song you heard for the first time. I caught a public motor vehicle from. Kokopo de Rabao its was about a 20 kilometre trip And I did it three days in a row And on those three days I kept hearing this song called A Bebe uh, Which was uh, a string band song uh, And I loved it I really really loved it So I went into a store that happened to be the uh, the music store out the front of this recording studio. Um, by happenstance, it was the studio where this song was recorded. I went in there and there was, like, cassettes everywhere um, of local music and I bought this uh, cassette that had a hammerhead shark on it and uh, uh, the person <laughs> said, oh, this is the studio. Go on. And um, tomorrow night by a strange – because I was a musician, they said, oh, do you want to come and have a look at the studio? And I did and got talking with – the owner and some of the other musicians there, and they said, Oh, George is great. You should, you should meet him. We've got this barbecue happening tomorrow night. So, um, um, again, we just, George and I found each other sitting on a beach drinking beer and eating chicken and waxing lyrical about music.
1: <laughs> now, George, what do you remember about the first time you
3: met David? Well, at that time, you know, my first time to, to you know, talk and meet a, a white man. At, at the beach on that uh, same day. And it was something special for me, uh, meeting someone who is is also a musician from other country. And I just liked talking with him at that time when we were having a few beers on the beach. George, I understand you come from
1: a musical family.
3: Yes, yes. Uh, um, I come from a music family where uh, it's all... Uh, a traditional music family. Your father and your elder brother, both musos? Yes, they, they, they are people who teach traditional dancing, uh, singing and uh, choir in the village in, in, in my family. We know that uh,
1: PNG is a land of so many hundreds of languages. Is music a universal language in PNG?
3: Exactly the music is a common like sending messages to every clan, every uh, tribes all around Papua New Guinea. They're like sending messages through drums, kundu in, in, uh, in cultural gathering
0: I <laughs> amgara Rila wa wa tera areo marmari Rila wa wa tera areo marmari
1: David, after the first trip, you went back to PNG with your band at the time, uh, Not Drowning, Waving, terrific title. Why?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, well, when George and I were on that beach and, um, you know, discussing, I mean, it was kind of fun. It was that thing that often happens with... Artist, you know you have a couple of wines or a couple of beers and you find this common ground and then it was like oh yeah that'd be possible why don't we just why don't we come back and record a record because the, the Pacific old Studios yeah. where George had recorded that song and a whole lot of other songs as well Um it was a thriving studio. It had, you know, they was working around the clock, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. You're kidding, and, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rebel was quite.
1: <laughs> Not throb- even this studio works that. Yeah.
2: Hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was um, and a range of stuff. Yeah, but the poor young village uh, musicians who were coming in, they they got the, you know, the, the overnight shift. They were like recording from midnight till you know eight o'clock in the morning. So. Uh, so it just felt like what a, what a great opportunity. Um, and Mark had always been on to me about you know Australia and Papua New Guinea they're so close. You know from I produced a record for an artist named Christine Arnoon. Christine comes from Saibai in the Torres Strait Islands and from the side so from side four kilometers to the Western province of Papua New Guinea. So we're kind of almost linked by land and, you know, all so many, you know, the history of, it was our only colony and our, my uncle fought there during the second world war. And so many people know someone who worked there in the, you know, with teaching or in the national broadcasting Commission or in the public service in the lead up to independence. So the link between Australia and PNG was uh, so strong. And I think, that even then, that was like, wow, this is, this is such a great opportunity. Um, so let's come back and record with primarily with George, but with some other musicians from Mobile so as well.
1: We're talking 1988, which is just a, yep. a decade after PNG got its independence in 75. And as you point out, the colonialist impact is still reverberating. I understand that kids would come up and say, or call you master because you were white.
2: Oh, and sometimes they'd call you Jesus too, because you know I was in the Trobriand Islands, and there were quite a. And then I was oh, these kids are running out, going Jesus, Jesus, and I'm going, well, I don't have a beard, that's a bit weird. And, and then you go into the church or the loto, and there's a picture of Jesus, and go maybe these four-year-old kids, the only white person they have ever associated with was Jesus. So, uh, um, yes, yeah, um, I don't I, think
1: many people confuse you with Jesus. On mainland Australia, do they? No, not that many. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> now, George, what about your first trip to Australia in 1993? What do you remember about it?
3: I, uh, <clears throat> I learned a lot that the time when we, you know, we start talking together with David to do a concert. We did a recording in Rabaul in the Pacific Studio and then uh, they featured me in the album, the album called Tamran, and we. They organized us to tour the whole state so many states in Australia. so we came down and what a good experience that I played with a white band and uh, you know something different when I I, I came down to Australia with something different. Uh, we meet so many people, get some some interviews from the radio station here. and uh, it's, it's very good for me to learn. We learned from each other.
2: We had, can you remember all the, at every gig there'd be a whole lot of Papua New Guinean expats would come along to the gig. I remember one time we played a show in Brisbane and I came back late and the hotel room was full of about 16 <laughs> Papua New Guinean people sleeping at all different angles all over the world. Because they all, cause George, because they all wanted to hang out with you, and you'd be really happy to hang out with yeah. them. And I think they might have had some betel nut as well to kind of... Yeah. Well, I'm happy hanging out with both of
1: you now. So in September <laughs> 1994, that volcanic eruption pretty much obliterated Rebel where you lived, George. Tell me
3: about what you remember of that uh, terrible event. Yeah, it was a Monday in September. I was in, in the village because my, my house is right on top of the hill. So we, we had the news already like there is something going to happen, uh, an eruption or something. We had this rumble under the, the ground and the earthquake, very big. And then we have drawn up the hill to see what's happened on, in the harbor. And of a sudden, at six o'clock sharp, there is like an arrow, arrow jump up from the sea. Up to the end it burst and it comes a cloud throwing out big ashes and it covers the sky with cloud and dusk. And there's a very big experience that I saw at the time. <laughs>
1: So many homes were gone and, sadly, the recording
3: studio. Yes, the old town of Abao, all went down. It covers with dust and uh, lava. David, what do you remember of the time? Um, Well,
1: I know you lost contact uh, with George. You must have been frantically worried.
2: Yeah, so telecommunications obviously um, went down. um, And when I went up there, and it was um, not that long after, and I found George, a lot of people were living in, you know, tents, those people whose land had been taken away. So at the beginning it was just, I mean, the landscape, Shift was incredible. It was like really grey and dusty. Uh, I mean, Rabaul was a beautiful tropical town, so there's you know green on all the trees and surrounded by green mountains and volcanoes. And this was all grey. It kind of the colour had been shifted. It like it was like you're in a black and white movie. And it, you know it, people were devastated. Uh, but as it's been fascinating looking at it now, seeing how a, t- a place rebuilds. Uh, but it's taken a long, a long, long time.
1: Yeah, and of course George had a a wife and uh,
3: kids to support. Yes, so we 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 uh, we lived away from our village, uh, back to the south coast of uh, Rabaul, and uh, that's where David came looking for me. He came in on uh, army aeroplane and he landed at the airport now called Tokwa Airport. So and he found us in, he found us at uh, Unabang in, in, in the Kokopo
0: area.
1: I'm uh, talking to, uh, to David and George on LNL about the extraordinary personal and musical friendship. Yeah. Now, David, after this, you started to work on George's first solo, self-titled album. And great news, it went on to become a huge success.
2: Yeah, um, George was already a big artist within Papua New Guinea. In fact, George would sing songs in Kwanawa, the talk place, the language of the people of Rabao, the Gunantuna people, but they would sell all over the country. So... All Papua New Guineans, most Papua New Guineans speak talk Pisin, which is a way that all the different language groups can communicate with each other, uh, and now often uh, often English. But each, you know, there's 870 different languages. So George's albums were in his own language. Um, so, that, so he was already h- huge in that way there. But this, um, yeah, with both the first record and the second record, Serious Time, the first record was self-titled, George... Yeah, we we did shows in Europe and in Britain, uh, and in the United States. Germany, of course, was interested because uh, the New Guinea part of PNG used to be a German colony, or it was run by the New Guinea Company, so it wasn't like a government thing, but it was a sort of a private enterprise kind of uh, show re- leading up to the First World War. Um, the Japanese were interested as well because of the, their history in the place and certainly around. Uh, the Pacific, so in New Zealand and in uh, New Caledonia, in Vanuatu, and in the Solomon Islands. So um, he started to become, you know, uh, rightfully so, this this figure who represents a cultural side of um, Papua New Guinean music.
1: Well, and he embodies, in a sense, the whole concept of world music.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, which is, um, I mean, a strange concept in some ways, like it tends to be, you know, music that's sung in a language other than English. And there's a lot of great records made that are like that. But um, yeah, there was a, a you know, a, at that time, a booming interest in, you know, artists like Salaf Keita and Miriam you soon adore and, and, and so many. Oh, um, and memories George. come rushing back. Now, David,
1: it wasn't until uh, 2000 that you released your own solo album called Act of Free Choice. How did uh, your experiences in PNG influence this album?
2: Well, the term Act of Free Choice refers to the referendum in 1969 in which uh, the people of West Papua were incorporated into um, the Republic of Indonesia, um, whereby 1,028 West Papuans were put in a military camp for a week and were voting on behalf of the whole country. It was also done uh, on the same weekend that uh, Nixon went to China, if I remember correctly, um, so that none of the world's media would be paying uh, attention. But the, the So it, it was seen by... You know, all West Papuans and a lot of people around the world is a very dodgy um, and kind of sinister take on things. But uh, hanging out with George, how this worked, and it was as simple as we'd, we'd be doing gigs in Madang or in Rabaul and there'd be some West Papuans who were there who might may have been refugees over, over the border. And I'm looking at them and, and straight away going, I can't, you know, they're the same people. And because of both accents and the way they're talking and the way that uh, things like music and land and... Uh, they're all the one Melanesian peoples. Sun,
0: we go down. Sun, we come up now. What is that yet?
2: I'm always
0: up Sun, we go down.
1: Reminds yeah. me, David, that in recent years you've been uh, working to raise the profile of Melanesian and First Nations uh, music through the uh, Wontok Music Foundation. Tell me about that.
2: Well, came out of uh, working with George as a starting thing because we thought, well, let's set up a record label that. Yeah. Uh, and hey, you, you, and me, and Glenn. And
3: at the time we start thinking to do something uh, apart from playing in the band, do something else. Yeah. yeah, it was a good idea that we start talking about starting a record label.
2: But some of the yeah, some of those artists that we were working with, yeah. and so this the label could be a conduit through which, in the same way that George was already doing great stuff, but we could. Um, you know, help get him to go to reach over to international markets yeah. and music festivals everywhere. We set up the One Talk label to do a similar thing, certainly with Melanesian artists, but also with some First Nation artists like Frank Yammer and um, um, with uh, Radical Sun and um, Emily Wararama and uh, uh, a range of people like that. George, your
1: sing sings are, are part of this, aren't they?
3: Yeah, sing sing means a big. Group of people singing together, hitting drums, and dancing, dancing in different style of music. that's sing uh, sing. That's why we we name uh, a soul that time in David and 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 uh, some of our friends called sing sing.
2: And we'd we'd have artists, you know, somebody from Vanuatu and somebody yeah. from the Torres Strait and someone from West Papua and someone from Timor Leste. And there'd be like maybe 16 to 20 people. The next person would sing a few songs, and all the other artists would join in, singing backing vocals or playing drums or <laughs> with it. And it kind of worked because what it was works on the basis that there's all these great differences, but what uh, we all have in common is 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 greater than
1: that. Now you've both faced. A challenges recently. George, sadly, you're diagnosed with mouth cancer, of all things, in 2018. And David, you've uh, you've had some struggles with mental health. Do you find that your friendship has sustained you through the dark days?
3: Our, our, our friendship is still intact. We're still uh, ringing each other, talking, do some work together and and here we are, we're still sitting
2: together now. Yeah, three, line, three lines do. You know, there's always George to uh, ring up and, um, you know, him having a go at me and telling me how I'm <laughs> past it and I'm too old and I shouldn't be bothering anymore <laughs> and I can do the same. There is there is that kind of, when, you know, we've been working since 1986 and it's always, it's always good, you know, there's always kind of we have this understanding. So those kind of long-term uh, friendships and artistic relationships are really strong. So, yeah, when things are a little, you know. Uh, Gentlemen, little,
1: you're never too old. I'm here to, <laughs> to attest to that. <laughs> so I guess you'd both like to see more cross-cultural exchanges between Australia and p and
3: Yep. I think we're... we're Thinking to do some more work after this, and uh, doing uh, yeah some recording again. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep
2: doing it. But it's also there's young there's some great young artists coming through, and there's great young filmmakers and visual mm. artists. You know, um, Queensland Gallery of Modern Art has the you know Asia Pacific Triennial, which showcases some wonderful young uh, Pacific Island artists and. Um, uh, uh, and it, PNG is growing as a confident nation, and you know there is younger people who are questioning things about the direction of the country, and and that tends to find its way into the artworks. and There's some wonderful stuff, and music, music as well. So it's been really interesting. For us, having st- started this such a while back, but seeing the changes that are, that are coming and we're certainly... Uh, I wish uh, I could say break a leg and
1: pigeon, but it's uh, beyond <laughs> my capacity. But uh, what a delight to talk to you both. And uh, the both being musicians David Brody and George Tallick, the premier of the documentary, ABB Butterfly Song is happening on Sunday at the Melbourne International Film Festival and they'll be performing there after the screening. So you'd be mad not to go along. We'll have a link to the details in the notes to this program. Thanks very much, David. Thanks a lot, George. Thank Thank you.
2: Thank you, Phil. ABCRN helps you understand the world.